Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by old friend David Wurtzberger of SNY. Wurtz, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing well, Chase. How about you? Not too bad. How many? What is it like? What is the dis like the difference between the amount of people that call you Verts and the amount of people that call you David? Huh. The Verts thing was funny because that was like a natural nickname just sort of thrust upon me, which you like, you know, you know, you know, the people that make up their own nicknames. No one, no one really likes to actually call them that. But it got to a point where like I'm in like you know middle school and like kids' parents are calling me Verts and not David. So it's actually pretty pretty hysterical. I like it. I mean, obviously, as I've evolved to like professional world, then people just call me David. But right, you know, Vert still lingers. It's still fighting the good fight. It's it's trying to stick around. Okay, there you go. Um, what have you been up to since we last recorded? How how was your summer? How's the fall looking? What's what's new with you in New York? Yeah, so summer flew by. You know, just been trying to enjoy it, get outside and. And make some plans before you know the next the next variant screws everything up again. Uh, and then yeah, I mean can't complain. It's been a been a fun summer, and you know fall winter is, is lock it down season and, and get back to the grindstone. So that's the idea. Well, you're also in the college football hotbed that is New York City. So I imagine you've been you've been just enthralled by early SEC dominance. You were watching Tennessee Bowling Green on Thursday, looking out for me in attendance. You were like, oh, man, Chase is so lucky. Like, yeah, I'm in the mecca of college football here in New York City. And all the, 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 the Tennessee ball fans just lining the streets of Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. People forget. There's just a bunch of them all over the place that you were like, man, wouldn't it be good to get down there? But what, what is the atmosphere? Are, are, there, are people worried? Like, is Columbia even playing football this fall? Um, do we do we get, like, the NYU kids all just, like, finding their own team with NYU not having a football program? Like, what what is the what is the college football feeling like in uh, New York at the moment? I thought the quintessential college football experience was – freezing your buns off at the the pinstripe bowl every year mm. isn't that what all college football fans look forward to annual i thought that was what it was but you went but to yeah, stony brook yeah. right i did go to stony yeah yeah okay they got some you know some some fcs fcs is a bad one right it's a bad one? No, it's just smaller. It's, it's not a bad, bad one. No, no, which one's the good one? FBS is the good one. Right? FBS is, I mean, good and, like, it's the bigger one. FBS is the big one. The bigger one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is why you have me on to talk basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so the not... The tailgates were fun at Stony Brook. I'll tell you that much. The tailgates were good. I'm pretty sure uh, the defense was good for a couple of years there. And mm-hmm. We had a couple of good running backs. And one tight end that made it. So you're you're like you're ready to go. Are you are you tailgating? What did the se- what is the season ticket situation at Stony Brook? Like, are you a, is there a backlog? Is it one of those situations where you're just hoping someone gives up their seats for a game this fall so you can get back out there? Uh, how how rabid is that Seawolf fan base? Oh, it's all all of those things you <laughs> just mentioned, and and not like me just. No, not having been to a game since my my first homecoming because I I don't feel like it. But 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd have to. Um, I'd have to hit a, hit up a scalper or anything like that outside of <laughs> outside of Canada Ball Stadium or anything like that. Uh, but it's fun, man. You know, the small school vibes are are always fun. Though I've always wanted what what it's what it's like to go to like a Tennessee or or a Bama or something crazy like that. Well, you're welcome here anytime, Bert. You're welcome here anytime. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Might, um, might, might, might take you up on that. Okay. Well, hey, I'm here. I got you. Um, don't forget, folks, you can listen to Verts and all kinds of other great NBA guests every week on this very podcast, Verts writes at smy.tv.com. So go check that out if you have not already. He does great work covering the Knicks at SNY. Great website, so go check that out. Um, you can follow Verts on Twitter. Is it underscore Verts or Verts underscore? It's, it's underscore verse. That's what I thought. And then you can follow myself at Chase Double underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com to get access to all my previous episodes. Go subscribe to the newsletter at SportsRenaissanceMan.Substack.com. Support us on Patreon by going to Patreon.com slash ChaseThomasWriter. Uh, and if you like listening to Verts and I today and you're an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget an easy thing you can do to help the show continue to grow Besides telling a friend, sharing it with someone else you think might like it, let's leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Bert, there was a great, 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 great piece by Chris Mannix in Sports Illustrated today on Paul Pierce and what's up with him now, how he got to the league, his upcoming Hall of Fame enshrinement, um, what's next. This piece was phenomenal. What did you make of it? Uh, I didn't get to finish it quite yet, but um, I will say of some of the some of the small tidbits I read, I know you, you wanted to bring up um, when when Doc Rivers was not exactly how do I he wasn't uh, thrilled that his team was getting cooked by Paul Pierce mm-hmm. and he had some nice words to describe him. Uh, oh, I got I it! I got like, it! I'll, I'll, let's just read the quote. You, we got to read the yeah, quote. <laughs> if you want to get the exact quote out, yeah. So in 1999, this is coming from Mannix's piece. Doc Rivers was coaching in Orlando. Rivers recalls a regular season game against Boston where Pierce went on a scoring binge in the first half. At halftime, Rivers tore into his team. I said, "How is a fat, unathletic guy fucking killing us?" He said. But then you realize he wasn't fat at all. He was in great shape. He was a super athlete, but he was so fundamentally sound that you often missed his athleticism. What a quote. That's not even the best quote in this story. The best quote is Paul Pierce being upset about them asking him to pass to Jerry Welsh. Like, shots fired at Mr. Welsh. I I don't know about you. When I read that, I sort of, like, immediately thought I had one player comp immediately, and you don't see these two comps at all. But I thought James Harden... And I kind of think like just the sort of physical how watching them you, you sort you see the blubber and so you think there's there's like less athleticism there than you might think, but it's actually just it's strength it's speed it's all there, like to, not only is it actually there but it's like to to a strong like Paul Pierce and James Harden are are top tier athletes like even in the NBA even in their own you know their own peer group, uh, I, I just thought that was funny and it made me want to put together like an all all blubber team. Like Jokic, mm. you could throw Jokic in there. Like you, you don't, you don't think he has that, that crazy strength. But even now that he's toned down and he's, you know, he's kept up like banging down low, and it, it goes to show that you know a lot of these looks are deceiving. For sure, for sure. And Pierce was just, I mean, it's crazy to think about how people would view his career if he doesn't get the trade 
in 2007, 2008, right? Like if Ainge doesn't pull the trigger because they were in a really bad space before that and he wanted to trade and like what if he gets traded to Dallas like he wanted to in in the piece by telling Cuban he's their missing piece. Like, man, that's different. Like Dirk would Paul Pierce at the end of his career like or end of his prime like that is completely different. We don't get KG, Rondo, Ray Allen, Pierce, Garnett. Like, uh, we, we don't get any of that perk. Like, that whole thing is gone. Um, it's just how we view basketball, and we don't get the Lakers-Celtics iconic finals matchup. Like, so much has changed just by Danny Ainge pulling the trigger that summer and acquiring Allen and KG when he did. But um, it is interesting, too, that Pierce has uh, changed his mind, I guess, of late. And he's not as stubborn as he was. Um, he doesn't think... Um, that uh rondo will be the one who ever gives up on it did you like at the end of the piece i don't know if you got to it but like essentially he doesn't believe that rondo is going to forgive ray allen um anytime soon he 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 refers to all of them as stubborn but it looks like perk and i guess kg and he's he's obviously fine he said he made like in the piece they cite that he made up with uh alan a couple years ago but they were all just very upset because they thought they had a longer window and that also alan took less it wasn't even like he took an equivalent deal in miami it's that he took less to leave them and go to his his uh biggest rival in lebron and that miami heat team i also think it was interesting that he one of the things he was annoyed about with espn per the piece is that they wanted him to talk about lebron all the time i'm noticing a trend here pierce did not like lebron as a player and uh, was saw him as a rival and did not did not enjoy that time. Something that reading between the lines. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, that that that's probably fair. But but to go back to that <laughs> Ray Allen sort of rift, uh, I was trying to think like the all time sort of because you see like you know Durant and Westbrook made up. That was like a three four year thing. I don't even know. Mm. Uh, Durant and Draymond made up within like one or two years. I'm trying to think of like these true long lasting sort of beef and pettiness or little divides. And that Ray Allen one was going pretty strong, right? At least a decade. Well, uh, not, not quite a decade, but but getting getting there, you know, to, to hear that this is all being made up now, everyone's getting all cool. It's a little disappointing. I thought that was like our one, you know, long standing. Because all this stuff, I feel like a lot of these beefs are just, you know, a layer thin anyway. And guys can just, you know, get over it pretty quick, which a lot of them end up doing. You know, how, how, how many of these can you think of where it's, span years decades you know guys you know it, it, it's tough keeping up a, a you know a sort of what do they call it hold a grudge yeah that's the word i was looking for well i think it's Jalen like and c-web so. Jalen and c-web right that's still one the fab five stuff that's, seems to still be sitting there yeah. um i don't think kobe and shaq were ever 100 percent. i don't know there was that weird remember the the video like the interview each other like what did they do what was that whole segment yeah. was that 100 are you saying are you saying they're not 100 percent beef, or they're not? They were never they were never 100 like beefing, or they're never 100 percent made up. 100 percent made up. Oh, uh, I thought we got now. Maybe, maybe we we got there and we reversed back. It's possible. I don't know. Was there something? Well, not reverse back. I don't know. It was just one of those more of like we need to move forward, just like to for pub like so people stop asking about the the history of Kobe and Shaq and like why Shaq got pushed out and why. We didn't get it. Like I went back and watched um, 
the 2001 finals against the Nets and how they played and Kobe getting phased out and like just the the way that team operated under Shaq and um I don't know like it, the way Kobe was wired back in the day like I I don't know I I just I find it odd or I don't know I I just would say if I had to guess if Kobe and Shaq were 100% cool and um if he was still around I mean this is hard cuz he's he's not around anymore but um but tragically and i i don't know i just i don't i don't think so though like i would just have bet if they this was still going on that they they would not i could be wrong obviously i could be wrong and it's hard to is to figure that out but i would say that based on that history and how bad it got i don't know i i have my doubts interesting that's fair enough yeah i think uh Maybe Katie and Westbrook still a little bit. They made up. Like I don't know if that's a hundred percent. I don't. I have my doubts on that one too. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Um, you gotta love how the NBA is part sports, you know, league and also reality TV show drama. It's it's really fun. Also, the last little bit, and we'll move forward, is that Dirk Nowitzki was almost a Celtic. Like Patino yeah. wanted Nowitzki at ten. And they didn't think Pierce was going to be there. So if you go back to the piece, and like I was eight years old when this was happening, so I don't uh, I don't recall a lot of this happening. But Pierce um, was expected to be a top five guy out of Kansas, and he he wasn't. And um, he Patino went out and saw uh, I think Nowitzki in Rome is what it was, and he called Red Auerbach and. They were like we. They thought they had their guy, and then they were one pick away. And he goes nine to the Bucks. Nowitzki does, and then they trade him to to Dallas. So Robert Trailer for Dirk Nowitzki. How did it work out for for the Bucks and the the Mavericks? The jury's oh, still out. Let's give it a give it a few more years. <laughs> the the jury's still yeah. out on that one. Um, hey, both both got their rings in the past. You know, since since that since that trade. So that's true. It did work out. Um, so we're going to do, uh, a big thing on this podcast. We're going to do new faces, new year, new changes in the NBA. I was thinking about different things we could do to make this fun little segment. And I have five new faces. It could, I, I sent it to you. I was like, it could be a new coach, new GM, new player in a different system, but like that you, this is positive, only positive that you think um is going to be something that's good for this player and or and personnel person um on this new situation my five you're don't laugh number one gorgie jang in atlanta no anyaka and kongwu for the majority of the season uh bruno fernando was objectively bad last year they really don't have a backup spot and clint capella is so critical to this team and what Trey Young does and how much gravity he takes and just how good he is in the pit, on the pick and roll and just the rim running. Capella has been great. Um, he was maybe the second most important hawk in this last playoff run. Um, Jang I've always liked a lot and I think his veteran savvy and he's kind of like that Deadman uh, piece where I'm just like okay cool I, I like this he'll he'll play some stretch five minutes he'll do what he needs to do he'll be different than than um, than Capella. I, I like that. I like the new face, new new place for Jang in Atlanta. I think he'll be used well. Dinwiddie in Washington. I think Washington will have a bump moving on from Westbrook to Dinwiddie. 
I think he'll do a lot more fun catch and shoot stuff. I think the offense will be better, especially in crunch time with Dinwiddie over Westbrook. Um, Pat Bev in Minnesota, I think, will be better um, than people think. I think Minnesota, if you watched them at all last year, they have had point guard issues since uh, the last few years. Like it's just they've had a lot of trouble figuring out that spot, that league guard spot. He's gonna Pat Bev is going to make Anthony Edwards. And Carl Anthony Towns and a lot of those guys' life easier. Hopefully, he has a defensive impact, but I do think he is somebody that that team very much needed, and they need some defensive mindset guys in that locker room outside of Josh Okogie. Rick Carlisle in, in Indiana is just going to be like one of those like lock in whatever. I haven't looked at what Indiana's over-under is at this point, but just go ahead and lock in the Pacers for the over um, in Indiana with Rick Carlisle. And then Ime Yudoka to the bench and brad stevens to the front office i i like this pairing at least early on i think ima yudoka is going to be really good for jalen and jason so what do you make of my five what and then we'll we'll get to yours what do you what do you make of those five i guess i guess i guess we got to go one by one right Mm -hmm. uh i like i like the jane pickup it makes sense you need the backup center minutes he's he's really solid Uh, i guess when you're a team like the hawks just coming off a, a you know really strong playoffs don't really have there's no big move I think that was on the table for you guys uh, unless like you want to count like I don't know Ben Simmons or some crazy trade like that so just these these little improvements on the margins I feel go a long way especially if I don't want to you know speak for for what you think is going on with your team you know going forward but you sort of just want to build on Trey John Collins and Capella you know relatively young guys especially Trey and, and Collins so they'll get better and you sort of want to build up, build on what you had last year. So I like that one. And then you had, uh, who's the next one before Bat Bev? Oh, Dinwiddie, Spencer right? Dinwiddie. Yeah. I like it. I, I like it. I, I think, I don't know if you're doing it from the team's perspective, from the player's perspective or both. I feel like you're doing it more both. Like I really love it for Dinwiddie just because he finally gets his chance to, to start and, and really have, you know, a lot of shots and opportunities to himself. Obviously yep. he's going to be second to Beal as far as options, but this is Three should be. what, yeah. And this is where, you know, he's, he sort of needed to be for a while now, but with the Nets, there's always been injuries or he'd have to be the best guy because of injuries or it was always something in the way of him just having like a normal full healthy season at, you know, at the starting position with starter minutes and starter responsibilities on the team. So that's pretty exciting. How about, uh, who's the fourth, uh, Carlisle? All right. Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, great, great pickup for the Pacers. I, I would smash the over too. Um, I'm curious what he entails for that front court. No one's been able to sort of get it right, so I wonder if he wants to take his, you know, take his shot at it before the Pacers just decide to ultimately split them up because we know Miles Turner's been in been in some trade rumors, so that seems to be where they're going. But maybe he can figure something out there. I don't know. What's your last one? Was it uh My last one is Doka to Boston along M.A. with Brad Stevens getting elevated yeah. to the front office. Oh. So I wanted to ask you how how you feel the Celtics have done this offseason cuz in a frame of what they're trying to do generally which I think is just sort of you know push the ball down to 2022 and that free agency it appears to be the case but you know, maybe I'm wrong. 
I, that it seems fine what they've done this offseason, but I'm just not super afraid of them going into next season as a playoff threat to anybody, really. I think they're a playoff team for sure. I think Tatum and Brown are just too good at this point. Oh, they're them. a playoff team. Just playoff threat. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think they're going to take a step back a little bit, but I think Schroeder is actually going to be really good off the bench for them. I think locking up Marcus Smart is going to keep their their floor very high. Um, I like that they're going to try to get him more involved as a creator. I'm it, like that's what he was at Oklahoma State years ago. Maybe that will yeah. take away some of those threes that he takes every game. Um, Horford being back, I think, will be be nice. Robert Williams is now the official guy at the five for them and i think he is going to be really good for them for years to come he does everything you want as a rim running five um shout out to time lord but i think getting off the kemba stuff is huge like kemba is not the same player anymore and getting off that contract i know this is going to be a bummer for you um with kemba oh. being in new york but i mean you just had to deal with alfred payton for for a full season so he can't be worse than alfred payton but we'll get to your next that'll be the last segment on this podcast but um yeah, I just I I think the Celtics have enough to be smart and good. Like they're going to play kind of like what I looked at with the Pacers from the last couple of years, where it's like they're not going to have a bad player in their rotation. Like they're literally not going to play someone where you're like, oh, this is going to torpedo this five man unit or this three man unit. Like I don't know who that guy is in this group. Um, they're thin. I would like for this group to be a little bit deeper, but Boston is going to have enough every night to to win like i think their defense is going to be really really strong i like bringing in uh hernan gomez i like schroeder being like just coming in as a pissed off guy because of the money he gave up in la and how he was treated in a free agency like he has a huge chip on his shoulder so i i think that's going to be really nice for them i don't know i just uh the celtics seem like someone who their offense is going to be clunky at times this season i don't know who's going to be their leader and assist but like i think their defense is going to be very very good and i think um i don't know i I think they're going to be fine in that regard all right i mean think about it like here's their eight pritchard schroeder marcus smart jalen brown jason tatum um josh richardson al horford ennis canner robert williams okay so that oh nine that's a really really solid nine man group can it win a title? No. Can it win the East? No. Can it be a pain in the ass for everybody in the East? Yes. <laughs> like, it's just smart. Like, they're mostly veterans. They're mostly smart players. Like, the ones that aren't veterans are high upside stars. Yeah, Celtics are going to think you're going to be fine. I think we're going to have a, a, a jump up season for them, my guess. Your new guys, new faces. Who did you have, Verts? Yeah, I, I wanted to follow your lead with leading off with a with a Hawks guy, someone on your favorite team. So I naturally led with okay. one on my favorite team, mm. and as you just mentioned, Kemba Walker. <laughs> so I thought it was funny when you when you when you had that little. But we didn't get him at thirty million. We got him at True. nine million. Something yeah, like that. you got him from the pyramid so, scheme I, that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, you gotta love him. I don't know. I don't know what was pushed under what table under what table but i'm happy it happened um yeah i mean this is an easy one for me like i think the knicks get their point guard they've been wanting for a while i think kemba gets like a really good spot to, to sort of get his career back on track after these injury problems the last couple of years and 
And, you know, it's, it's less expectations for him, but he also gets to create a little more, and it's, it's a more natural fit next to, you know, as opposed to next to Tatum and, and Brown, where he has to sort of play off those two, and they're the young stars on the team. Now it's just sort of the Walker-Randall show, and, and if Walker's playing close to what he was, and really even drop off too badly, I know you're saying he's not the same player anymore, and he's not. He's not getting to the rim the same rate. He's not, um, he's not shooting a lot of the mid-rangers he shot. He's changed his game a lot. He definitely lost a lot of that explosion. But if you look at his numbers, it's still even in a down year. It's still 20 and 6, 20 and 7, relatively efficiently. And I think at the very worst, he'll keep that up and that'll just be a huge boon to the Knicks. And for him, again, he, he gets the ball in his hands more. He gets to play back home. I think it's just a lot of good things going his way for, for his career now that he's, you know, got a chance to bounce around and, you know, end up where, where I think it'll work out for him. I don't know if you want to comment or should I go through all of them and then you'll pick them all apart. I think we should do it where you get through them all and then I'll pick apart which ones are worthy of being picked apart. Bert. Okay. The rest are boring. I think the rest are boring. I got uh, I have Rudy Gay going to the Jazz. I think that, that fit is just really nice. Like, aesthetically, they sort of get that stretch for wing body that can defend and then do all the little veteran things while still, you know, still being a good piece on the floor. I just think that's a really nice, again, one of these moves on the margins that don't seem like they make a big impact, but that's like a, a Jay Crowder-esque, you know, to the Suns. I feel like just a natural good fit for them, and that's a lot of what they've been missing, including during last year's playoffs. I got P.J. Tucker to the Heat. Again, like, I like these, these, these competitive teams getting their perfect stretch fours and, and really help rounding out their lineup. You know, the Heat get their maybe starting four, maybe real four. I, I mean, it was Trevor Ariza last year. They were really trying to, to fill that spot, and they used to have Jay Crowder and end up losing him. So having P.J. Tucker in there to round out the lineup with Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, and, and now Kyle Lowry. Um, Lowry could have ended up on this on this list, too. Obviously, I just tried to keep uh, keep with the, the random names like you. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like that fit. P.J.'s going to get to compete for another championship and, and fits in well on that heat team and that heat culture. Uh, speaking of guys going to places, I'm, I'm excited for Otto Porter. I think he can really shine on, on, on the Warriors. He didn't get a lot of play just for, for where he's been playing. He's been in Chicago. He's, his contract is, he's been overpaid and a lot of, you know, eyes aren't on him for that reason, but you know, he quietly got better. And I think he's like a really great fit in Golden State where they can use his wings wing slash smaller four that can sort of slash and shoot and then he'll benefit a lot from being on probably the first team where he has like real stacked teammates like this and actually I only have four I didn't have a fifth so I failed at this <laughs> exercise um, four is okay yeah so run through it quick Lowry Kimba and your other two were uh, it, it, Otto and Kimba Gay PJ and, and Otto okay uh, PJ Tucker. Now you can count Lowry as the fifth, I guess. I, okay. I don't want to go like the the obvious superstar destination, but like Lowry to the Heat is. Well, we can combine Lowry and fit. PJ, right? Like that, just just gonna be a different team. Um, I'm excited. Like they're getting thinner. Um, it like a lot of the Heat is just like, will they make it through regular season and deep playoff run with this group? Can they all stay healthy enough to make it through that kind of? kind of season do they have enough depth in the regular season to rest lowry enough because Dragic is now looks like he's gonna be a mav you lose those minutes you lose kendrick nunn a lot is going to depend on tyler hero bouncing back from his ruck his uh his rough 
sophomore season. Um, I don't know. Bam probably has another level he can get to. I'm pretty high on the Heat. I think they'll be a top four seed in the East. I think they're high upside, but I am concerned about the mileage on Lowry and Jimmy Butler to this point. So I don't know. Uh, Kemba, I think, is a wash. I'm not going to lie. I like the, Everything is just going to be... Remember that time at UConn when he hit that shot in Madison Square Garden? Remember Kemba then? A lot, a lot of it's going to be remember Kemba and not what Kemba is now. But he is someone who's easy to root for. I hope he has some fun moments in New York. But also just let, like... I don't know. He'll probably be fine. Like he'll he'll be okay. Like, well, are we sure he'll be better than what Derrick Rose was for you in the playoff series against us last year? Like, I don't know. Like, that's we'll we'll see because Kimball was not good um, when he came back from injury last year for Boston. So perhaps he can bounce back, but I'm I'm not I'm not certain of that. And then Otto Porter, I mean, maybe if he's healthy, he's another like a health guy. But will he get the minutes to make that kind of difference? But they really just need him to help out in the regular season. He's not someone I expect to have much of a postseason role for the Warriors, but in the regular season, can he help when Curry needs to rest, when Clay Thompson's coming back and help him along, like when Wiggins is deciding to get his cardio in instead of putting up shots, like when Draymond is shooting a little bit too much, when they're playing Wiseman too much at the five and they need Otto Porter to get some buckets at the pick and pop at the four. Yeah, I could see it. I think Otto of that group will actually probably had the most regular season impact and then i think playoff wise pj and kyle is just if they can get help if they can just stay healthy and make it to a four five seed something like that in the east then they're a they're a terrifying team they just have to stay healthy i'm just curious to see if they can do it is that fair oh uh, yeah yeah everything except the Kemba part yeah, <laughs> yeah totally fair um <laughs> no i mean he's got listen i'm not like i, I guess like what's the ceiling floor scenario with Kemba, right? Like, the ceiling is he's like, can't get back to Charlotte level. No, that's not the ceiling. No, that's like, over. That's, that's it, that, the, that can't happen. Gone, right? Yeah, like, it's gone. So, you know, ceiling, we're, we're probably hoping for, like, an efficient 20-7, and seven, right? Yeah. Like, a real, nice, efficient 20-7. and seven, um, and, and relative health. Staying healthy and being healthy in the playoffs. And playing well in the playoffs. Mm. Uh, and then the floor is... Are we sure the Knicks are a playoff team next year? Are you trying me on your live podcast? Are you, are you pushing buttons? Are we sure? What you're doing? I, you want me to drop a hot take for you, right? All right, now? hold on, hold on. Let's actually, take a break. We're gonna do. You can drop the hot take, and we'll we'll do this because drop a Knicks hot take. Okay, we'll be. We're gonna take a quick break, and then Vert's hot take on the New York Knicks because I've gotten him riled up. I'm simmering. All right, we're back. On the Chase Thomas podcast, where Verts is about to hit us with a hot take because people are wondering, not just me, not to go full straw man here, but people are wondering if we're sure the New York Knicks are a playoff team in 2022. People are wondering. I, I want names. <laughs> I want names. I want links. I want. I want tweets. This is just a favor for prosperity. So here's my hot take. My Knicks prediction this year is that they finish as the third seed. Oh Jeez. my goodness! What? What? Yeah. yeah. Third seed? Uh, Are the Hawks dying? Fold, Are we just torpedoing the season? Words. Oh no. No, no. I I'm 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 confident of this. Oh no. I, I can I can state the case. Thibodeau team, Thibodeau regular season. They're coming back, basically getting all their minutes back. The only thing they're changing is a couple starters. 
Kemba and Fournier. The continuity helps. Going to be top five on defense or whatever. Defense in the regular season is going to be great. They play at this playoff intensity all season, so they have no extra gear in the playoffs. I have that to look forward to in the regular season. Uh, yeah, I think all those factors combined and the fact that they were a four seed last year, I know it was a weird year, but they ended up a four seed last year and got inarguably better by, I think, a decent margin this year. Uh, I think they have a better case of being the three seed. I think you can make a better case for that than a case that they just regress down out of, out of the playoff. That's crap. I've never even heard of that one. Look at the East. The East is deep. The East is deeper than the West next year. Deep like the what? East. What do you mean with what? Here we go. You ready? What? You're not talking about basketball teams. Oh, you? I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Hawks, Heat, Celtics, Wizards, Pacers, Hornets, Bulls. All have a real shot to make the playoffs next year. And we can even throw the Raptors in there. Yeah. I agree with all that. I right, here, here are the reasons as to why all those teams will finish lower than the Knicks. Okay. Bucks and Nets will finish ahead. The Haw- are you going to make the case that the Knicks win more regular season games than the Atlanta Hawks next year? You know, if you gave me a second, I was going to credit you. I think you guys have the best chance uh-huh. of all the teams I think are finishing lower than the Knicks to, mm-hmm. to upend them to take the third seed. I give you a better chance than Philly, that's for sure. Philly's just a huge um, wild card. I have no idea what to do with Philly right now. We Nobody knows yeah, what to do with Philly. Right. We can't do anything until the Ben Simmons stuff resolves itself. Right. If they traded Simmons for, like, CJ McCollum, then we have to put them back, like top three seed or something something like that you know mm. um the heat i think they're not a regular season team i think like you said like their whole struggle is gonna you know be around being deep enough to survive the regular season and i, I just think also like they're 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 a team that the more turns up the sort of because they have to be on it a hundred percent like defensively and offensively for all the cutting and movement and, and just high intensity defense and sort of like Thibodeau will just push his guys to do that nonstop every game regular season so that by the time they get to the playoffs, there's no extra gear. I think the Heat have this extra gear that they like turning to, and in the regular season, that's why you see them suffer. Because they haven't actually had, like this Heat team we saw made the, that made the finals in the bubble, like they didn't have a great regular season. They went on a good run in the second half of the year to get into decent playoff seating. But I, I just don't think they're a big regular season team. Well, Bulls stink. Uh, Charlotte. Yeah, Indiana. They're, 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 they have a chance to make the playoffs. I think the Knicks are like clearly better than like the last five teams you mentioned. Mm. I, I'm just going to go ahead and go on record. I don't think the Knicks are making the playoffs next year. I'm going on record. I think the Pacers, who missed the playoffs last year, are in. I think the Heat are locks, the Bucks are locks, the Sixers are locks, the Nets are locks, the Hawks are locks. I just I think it's going to come down to them getting fighting for an eight seed between the Bulls, Hornets... And Pacers, I think that's. Just, but, but why? I don't believe in this offense. I think Randall is like going to take a step back. I don't think what we saw, like I think what we saw in that Hawks series, uh, is well, more indicative of what Julius Randall is. Why? What? Why is Randall going to take a step back? I don't think like a lot of the shots he was hitting last year. I don't think he's hitting those again this year. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think the shooting sustainable. I don't think him being a number one option is sustainable over the course of several years. Like I think the wear and tear there. I don't know who, what R.J. Barrett is. He needs to take a step forward. Where is the offense coming from? Are we believing that Derrick Rose is just going to continue on with what he did last year? Are we sure they're going to score enough? Is Mitchell Robinson going to be back to normal? Is he going to be a good player for them? Kevin Knox seems like a major whiff. Obi Toppin, not a great summer league. Looks like that might have been a miss. 
Um, I don't know. I just don't no, think they're he was pretty. He was he was all summer league first team. I thought it was a pretty good summer league. Did you see enough that he's going to be a important player for for the Knicks this year? I mean, that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that based off summer. I'm gonna wait until the you know his, his actual sophomore season starts. But look, and I understand. Like, I mean, the bad blood, Nerland Snowell going at Rich Paul. That can't be good. What does that mean? <laughs> the Randall and RJ regression. It's just that you didn't expect this out of Randall, and neither did I, and I get mm-hmm. that. And so it's natural to think it does. But at the same time, every it, year Randall has improved when he didn't get hurt or he didn't have that one first terrible year in New York. Like, he's always been a work ethic guy. He's always gotten better. I think he's shown more every year he's been in the league except for those couple exceptions. And I, I don't know, like, was it not sustainable? He, he, hit, he hit those shots over a whole season. It was just once he got to the playoffs and, and the Hawks did a great scout. And, you know, I, I think a lot of things went wrong in that series. But I, I think the regular season would probably bear out more. I, I, I think it would just be weird to expect guys. Like, he's 26. Like, guys who just, like, stop being able to make those shots. I don't know. Uh, RJ, again, like he's like 21. Uh, I think he needs to take a big step. No problem. He took a big step last year. He'll probably take a step this year. Maybe it's not as big as last year because he had the whole pandemic and prolonged offseason. But I, I don't know. It, it, it seems to me I'd bet more on the natural evolution of a team. Like young guys that played well will probably get a little better. And especially like the big upgrades with Kemba and Fournier. Now, so you're asking where the offense is coming from. Those are two guys. Those were offensive black holes last year. Those are Peyton and, and Reggie Bullock who can only catch and shoot. Now you've got multifaceted sort of creators. I, I, I mean, you tell me. Last last playoffs when, when the Hawks were really shading towards Randall and he skipped passing to sophomore R.J. Barrett and Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock. And now it's third-year R.J. Barrett. Kemba Walker and Evan Ford, like that, that's a pretty, pretty big difference. Evan Fournier struggled in Boston last year. Do we, are we sure he and Alec Burks don't gobble up too many shots in this group? Are we sure that there are like, I don't know, Manuel quickly. Does he get a bigger role? He, he showed a lot, but kind of phased out in the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I think the Knicks have a lot of, I, I do. Mm. I do wonder about, the quickly top in minutes right because you sort of look and, and the Knicks just sort of like added rungs above them on the ladder correct and and so, so long as Toppin is playing Randall's position and it doesn't look like he's he's getting a lot of play at the five just because you have Mitch there you have Noel there and he didn't get much minutes there last year uh, it will be interesting to see how those guys earn their minutes um, especially now quickly too he's got a bunch of guards ahead of him and they're all small like him, and then he can't like separate himself with a good, you know, he doesn't have a real defensive game. He's just another guy that's going to come in and score. So those two, I am, I am curious to see how they get more minutes this year. We'll see. We'll see. Verts, what can we check out from you across SMY this week? Uh, I wrote a little rotational preview this week. I think I did one more piece that I'm not remembering right now, top of my head. Uh, yeah, definitely going to be putting up more season preview content, including the official exclusive hot three seed this year, New York Knicks, in 1,000-word format. Uh, and then please look forward to the rebuttal article for when Chase makes his case <laughs> for the Knicks missing the playoffs. I'll file my rebuttal. It'll be double whatever his word count is. Oh. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Maybe we could do an email back and uh, forth. We can do a whole piece on this. We can do an email back and forth. The case for and against the the New York Knicks making the playoffs. It's it. it <laughs> I, I'd almost want to bet. It's such a wide gap. I'm like three seed, and you're over here missing the playoffs. I think it's very I, I very possible. Read that anywhere. It's very upsetting. I thought we were friends. The Chase Thomas podcast. I I think the New York Knicks Atlanta Hawks series just put a huge divide in our friendship first. I think it just what happened in the way the New York fan base treated Trey Young, who did nothing, nothing to upset them outside of just being the best player in the series where it was not even remotely close. I, I don't I think you mean the conference. Mm, the conference. Almost. Almost. I'll tell you. like The conference. I'm going to say this. Mm. Last year's playoffs, I earned uh, – Trey Young, like, I'm sure he really cares. Like, he's just up at night, every night, thinking, what does David Bertschrager think about me? Mm. But I, I, I got a lot of respect for Trey Young last year's playoffs. Like, he was just over there grilling my team for five games. Mm-hmm. I just sort of had to sit there and take it. Like, yeah, right, this guy's really good. This guy's really good. I'm pretty happy that he's going to be an Atlanta Hawk for – for a while verts we can find you on twitter at underscore verts thank you so much for making the time my friend i greatly appreciate it um again if uh you like listening to verts and i on this very podcast go read his stuff sny go check out chase podcast.com and email us at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com um verts i will talk to you very soon thanks buddy thanks for having me man great time All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. This edition rolls along where I am joined by someone in the kitchen cooking it up, cooking it up better than Todd Monken cooked up against Brent Venables and the Clemson Tigers. But a win is a win, and to to figure out what happened in the Georgia-Clemson game over the weekend where Georgia won 10-3, I am joined my good friend, not that Ryan Adams, who is very upset that I, I'm doing this with him during a cooking time with uh, other people around. Like, not the most convenient for Ryan, but because he is one of my best friends, he is going to be a trooper. Isn't that right? Not that Ryan Adams. Absolutely. I didn't say I was going to be mad. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a weird timing, but I'm down. There I've been on this in two years now, so, you know, i got to take my chance when I get it. It has not been two years. You were at my house last year. Uh, I don't feel like that's true. The in-person one, was that not January of last year? Two years ago. Was it two years? Was that 2019? I don't think we were doing that with COVID restrictions going on. COVID wasn't a thing in January of last year is what I'm saying. I think it was January or February of last year. I'm pretty sure. Maybe you're right. I I might be right. A year now. It's been over a year. It's almost been two years. Okay. This, it's almost been two years. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Ryan, um, your team had a good win. I mean, they didn't take care of business like Tennessee took care of the Bowling Green Falcons on Thursday night in Neyland, where I was, and it was a delightful experience. But, Ryan, um, give me your three biggest takeaways from Georgia taking down Clemson on Saturday. Three biggest takeaways um, that 
the new offense is terrifying because we have no receivers. Um, so that's number one. We threw, yeah, I think our furthest pass downfield that was completed was like five yards downfield. It was very Jake Fromm. Um, our front seven is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, um, Jordan Davis is, he's the man. His his post-game interview was probably the best thing I've ever heard. Whether there's two on me, that then someone's free. Mm-hmm. That's just the ultimate player. Um, and then I guess number three is like I'm in some weird spot where after the offense was so sad to watch that I almost want us to go back to the old offense we had just so it's something, I guess, normal and not depressing. I don't know. It was kind of bad. There's a lot of a lot of sweeps, a lot of quick outs. And it's just, a, you know, after everything you heard in the offseason, it was just not what you were, what I was expecting. I don't think many people were expecting that either, though. But do you think a lot of that was just because of Clemson's defensive front and just the personnel that they had that they adjusted? Like, what we're going to see um, against UAB is going to be very different, I think, than what we saw against Clemson in South Carolina in a week after that. Do you think this was just a different kind of game plan for what Clemson was going to throw at Georgia? I, think it, I don't know if it's that or if it's that they're just hurt. I mean, because uh, Jackson, Jackson was fielding punts, but I didn't see him as a wideout at all. I don't remember seeing him as a wideout during the game, but he was doing all the fair catching. Um, I don't remember seeing Jack Saint maybe a handful of times. So I, I just I don't know if we're just if Georgia was just that beat up to where it was just a bunch of young receivers again. Uh, I mean, Jermaine Burton only saw him a handful of times. Um, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's just that, that was more of a a combination of yeah, the, the defensive front for Clemson, and then they're just banged up because it was it was just very, 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 very checked down. It felt very well, like a lot of checkdowns. But I mean, you get you're right. You get the win, so it's. A lot of teams struggled. There were a lot of clunkers this weekend. A lot of teams barely survived. A lot of good teams barely survived. Some teams that like we thought might win the Pac-12 went down to an FCS school over the weekend. So, I mean, it, it, it was it was rough for a lot of people. And to open with Clemson on a neutral side, I think, was big. Um, I don't know. I just think, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I understand why JT struggled. I understand why there was some problems with the receivers and problems going downfield because it was just, they went downfield a lot more last year. And there's a four game sample with JT. That was obviously not the case, but you don't have Washington. You don't have Gilbert. You don't have Pickens. You don't have guy after guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't have any of those guys, but the guys that were still out there, and this is the other thing I would think about. It's just that like, it's not as though they just had four Stetson Bennett's out wide in their, (laughs) <laughs> in their stead right like they still had right. talent all across the board like talent that other programs would kill to have even though they're the fourth and fifth guys on georgia but then you're like well does georgia know who they what they have yet do they know who to play yet do they know how to figure it out because like tennessee ran basically four wideouts only like they had cedric tillman they had velas jones they had uh javante payton and jalen hyatt that was it they weren't cycling anybody else in they knew what they had. Um, they they knew who their guys were, and that's it. They were just running them in 11 personnel sets over and over and over again. 
Georgia, I don't think, knows what they have and who their their trio is, who they're for. Like, outside of Burton, who I was surprised was not a factor at all in this game um, because of what we saw from him last year. He seems like he's going to have a much more diminished role on this team. But um, I don't know. I, I think two things can be true, right? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Wait, were you surprised by Burton? Who... Like, are you concerned about the wideout room? And, like, what would you expect the three-man no. group to be going into UAB this Saturday? No. I think, in all honesty, I think, like, what happened was best case, not not best case scenario, it was the best case scenario to happen early on in the year. Like, that's obviously where you want that to happen. And I think, obviously, you look at, you got UAB next, who, I mean, it, they had a really solid game. Um, I think it's good to have these issues early, obviously, um, so they can grow into it. And I think, you know, there's another thing that, that, that probably contributed to the play calling was it was just as tight as that game was. I mean, you get that pick six at the end of the half, and it just looked like it was going to be that kind of a game. And so why take the risk? I, I, I think that probably had some had some kind of uh, effect on the game. But uh, the, the, the three wide receivers that – I expect would probably be Burton, Blaylock when he's back, which seems sooner rather than later. Um, Jack Saint, Kyrus Jackson, McConkie, like one of like those. Any combination of those five guys, really. Um, I would I would assume it, right now it'd be Jermaine Burton, Kyrus Jackson, and. Uh, Rose and me. Mm. That'd be the top three, I think. Okay. But then Blaylock, when he's 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 close to being healthy, and then is his name McConkey, the little slot receiver they have that did decent. Um, Kirby apparently is super high on him, so we'll see. I'm not super concerned about it. I think you know there's a lot of factors that played into that, but it was still pretty disappointing to see, especially after you get done watching. Alabama just like walk all over Miami. You, 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 you heard nothing about, you've heard nothing but high flying offense from Georgia, and then they just kind of come out and don't do it. It was, it's just fun being a Georgia fan. You know, you can't like completely revel in the fact that you just beat Clemson because you didn't do what Alabama did, but you know. Well, I mean, I think that's the, the reality there. that you live in because when you recruit at this level and you have these kind of expectations, they're now number two in the AP poll behind Alabama. Um, but there's just a huge, huge disparity between the two. But, like, Georgia still, like, that defense is legit. There's all kinds of positive takeaways. They should, like, they look good enough to run through the SEC East and will be there for the matchup. And they'll probably give Alabama the most defensive problems that um, Alabama will have seen throughout the course of the year. That's all on the table. But you're not going to be Alabama if this is how this offense looks or anything close Do you- to Mm. Do you think that game was more of Alabama or Miami? Uh, I think that was more Alabama. Take I don't think Miami's going to be that bad all the year. the impression that it was... I thought it was Miami. I think it's just going to get worse and worse, the disparity between the top tier of the SEC versus... I mean, what, what is Miami going to be? Like, a good, a good in the ACC? I think the disparity is going to get that much greater every year. I mean, if you look at that game and you can you tell me that the game plan that Manny Diaz had was the best that they could do, and 
eight months, I would I would have to tell you that that's just that's, that's player difference. I don't know if that's is Manny Diaz that bad to where he just got out coached that bad and that poorly, like and they did that poorly, or is that just the difference between Alabama's players and Miami's players? Maybe, but I mean, Miami is closing the gap. They've recruited pretty well last few years, so I don't know. I, I, we'll have to see what happens with Miami down the stretch. I mean, this was a, a doomsday scenario for Clemson as a whole. Like this weekend was just the worst case scenario for Clemson season because they lose their biggest game in the schedule. North Carolina goes down. Miami goes down. The ACC looks horrible. Like this is outside of NC State, who I think is going to be really, really good. So I guess with UNC falling, NC State rises a little bit. But Virginia Tech's not going to have this kind of staying power. They're gonna they're gonna come back down to earth, and they almost gave away that game anyway against North Carolina on Friday night. But this was, I mean, Louisville getting smacked last night by Ole Miss. That was just sad. It was it was really sad, and it was one of those where I did not see that coming. I thought it was going to be a high-scoring back-and-forth situation, and it uh, it was not. It was just Ole Miss uh, stepping on the gas and just not looking looking back. That was, that was brutal. Um, oh, hold on. I think there is another targeting call. No. Um, yeah. It was, it, watching that was tough. There are so many games to be excited about before this week. Oh, and we should also mention Florida State, too, going down. That was so sad to watch. Like the the fourth and two, you do two direct snaps and then go for it on fourth and two on your own 33-yard line and fail. Miss an extra point. And it's just like, God. And and Mackenzie Milton comes in. Like, why didn't he start? He looked just – he looked awesome. It's just – there was a lot of games that I was really excited for, but then it just ended up being like really disappointing afterwards. I don't think it, Notre Dame Florida State was disappointing. That was a lot of fun. That was a, that was a great. It was a great game. I don't. I don't. I don't mean that one specifically. Like that was a good one. But like Ole Miss Louisville, I was I was super excited for that one. So I figured exactly what you said. It was just gonna be. It was gonna be chaos, just nonstop scoring. Um, but there was just a couple of games. Like, I mean, even Alabama-Miami, like, I, I, I had higher expectations for Miami than that. Um, but, yeah, it, this week was – it was great to have – it was great to have all those games back. Like, it was great to have, like, UNC and Virginia Tech. Like, that place was just insane. Like, the one thing that I – like, that, that drove me crazy was it just seemed like all the announcers were – like, just – like, they were off, too. Like, somebody – one of the announcers for one of the games said, like, that Clemson and Georgia was – a must win for Georgia and Clemson like Clemson could lose that game and still make to the the playoff and I was just sitting there thinking like that's got to be the exact opposite of what I think most people would think it is like, because Clemson needs Clemson, a lot of help I think now Clemson's screwed yeah they need a lot of teams to fall like they need like originally they didn't have anybody that was ranked on their schedule and now the mm. now the champion potential champion or the best other team in the ACC has got a loss already so it's just like well, I think what's going to help them too, though, the one thing that is the the caveat with Clemson is that OU almost went down to Tulane. Like that, <laughs> that's a, that almost happened. So that's something that you got to watch out for. Because if the Big Twelve doesn't get a team in, or they have a one loss team, if it's like a one loss Oklahoma, one loss Clemson, and like a one loss, I don't know USC, Clemson's getting the benefit of the doubt there. Like Clemson, it's not yeah. worst case scenario just because. Like the ACC stuff is terrible, but the fact that the Pac-12 also had a horrible weekend and the Big Ten looks like they're going to get at least one, maybe two, uh, depending on how you feel. Like a, a one-loss Iowa 
to just Ohio State is a possibility, and we'll see what they look like. I'm not a big Penn State believer after watching that whole game. Wisconsin pooped the bed, but um, Oklahoma's not a safe bet to go 12-0. We, we know that. Like they are the, not- the fact that they're number four right now just blew my mind. I could not understand the fact that they were number four. Putting down like, the two-lane really green matters, wave is tough, but... man. Putting down the that two-lane green wave is easier said than done. People forget that. Um, do you feel better or worse about Georgia than you did, let's just say, on Friday? Uh, I'm gonna. I, I feel I'm so like I'm I'm neutral. I think it's like a net neutral. Like the defense is better than I thought, or like not better than I thought. They played they played better than I thought they would against that kind of a returning offense with like that that quarterback. But the offense was definitely like a negative. So I think like overall it like it evened out. That's so sad um, for Georgia. Like that's a huge win. It's a huge monumental win yeah. beating Clemson. It's bigger than beating Notre Dame. It's a huge early season win. It should be this great. Oh, Scott, like everything is beautiful. Things are awesome. And Georgia fans are, I, I'm sure you're not alone in this, just being like, oh, no. Like Alabama just steamrolled a good Miami team. Potentially, like they might not be that far off from what Clemson is and just dropped a bunch of points. And Bryce Young looks like maybe the best Alabama quarterback Saban's ever had. Like four touchdowns in his debut, first for an Alabama new quarterback. Like Bryce Young looks looks the part their backfield's insane like georgia talks about their backfield bama's backfield's better bama's offensive line's better the only thing that georgia has over alabama at this point is their defensive line jordan davis and friends is going to be a problem but alabama's the kind of team that like yeah that's fine we're just going to pass all over you and it's just if you're worried that georgia with monken and kirby and jt and everything was going to be smooth sailing after a full offseason i don't i don't think you can feel that way but it's like even with all that being said it's an easy path to like 11 and one at the worst at the worst this is an 11 and one football team this fall and Wait, who's the you, one coming from well i'm saying like like that's worst case scenario like florida is a worst like you lose to florida or kentucky like that's the only thing left on their schedule because kentucky looks a lot better will Levis looks legit that offense might be good their de- their defense is legit it's at kentucky we know mark stoops plays kirby close so I don't know. I think that will... I mean, I would bet on Georgia, but do I think it could go either way? Man, eh, it's like a 20% chance, maybe 15% chance Kentucky could steal that, potentially. Um, depending on how Georgia's offense evolves over the course of the next few weeks. But and then Florida. Like, I don't even know what to make of Florida yet. Like, Emory Jones had a disastrous opening weekend, but Anthony Richardson looks like he could be a dude. Um, so, I don't know. I, Florida's another wait and see. Um... Who are the guys from this game you're excited to watch going forward? Who would you who would you recommend for people who are not familiar with Georgia to watch going forward? Can't say Jordan Davis. No. Um, no, he's. I mean, nobody would appreciate what he does. Um, uh, Nicobe Dean. Okay. Or Adam Adam Anderson. Those two. I mean, they're just that front seven is just going to be insane. Um, I'm, I'm not super worried about Georgia. I think they're gonna be fine. I think they're gonna be. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll beat Alabama. Oh, when you they'll say fine, run. okay, you're saying they're gonna beat Alabama. Yeah. 100%. See, I don't think that at all. I, I think can, it's I never gonna be that. a defensive. It's I, I will until proven otherwise. My belief is that the the first Alabama assistant or Nick Saban assistant to beat him is gonna be an offensive guy. Like it's gonna be Sark or it's gonna be Jimbo or it's going to be Kiffin. 
it, I, I just think he, where Saban runs into problems are the Hugh Freeze of the world, what Lane Kiffin did to him last year. Like he, it has to be the, the, just the super, super efficient, super smart offensive mind. And I don't that's think fine if that, that's, mm. that's fine if Lane's the first one to beat him. I could see it though. Like that's fine. Right. I just don't know if but, it's going to be Kirby. I can, I can see one of them beating him this year, and then Kirby comes in and cleans up afterwards. I mean, I'm just saying. It's possible. Either way, like like Kirby plays him well. Like they 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 play mm-hmm. him well, and this is a team that is made up of a, a very similar team that took him to the wire two years in a row. Like a, a good offensive line, a super good defense, good running backs, and like a game manager at worst right now, a game manager. Are you at best? He could be. How he could do, be good. Well, like how in perplexed were you to see Will Muschamp in a Georgia polo on this broadcast? It, it was, I didn't realize how much it would just jar, like jar me in the moment where it was just, it was so weird to see him on the field in a Georgia polo. Will Muschamp rocking him. It, it was just baffling. It'd be the same as seeing Mike Bobo do it now. It'd just be weird. No, Muschamp's way weirder than Bobo, but was there forever. No. Bobo was there forever, but you know everybody hates Bobo. Like every, like why every do people hate Bobo? Hate Bobo. He he just you know what he does? He, he immediately he, goes he, into Auburn, fixes Bo Nix, and then has Tank Bigsby with the number one PFF running back ranking after week one. By the way, right, guess who's I mean, number two, Ryan? Guess who is number two after this weekend? Baby Alec Kamara, Tion Evans. Who? Baby Alvin Kamara, Tion Evans, the JUCO transfer who showed out in Neyland on Thursday night. Oh, uh, it's irrelevant. Not irrelevant. He's going to go up against Georgia, and that's all. All trans are going to be gone. Same with Tanks Bigsby. It doesn't matter. The, mm. What was what was Clemson's net net rushing yards? I don't know. It was two. Was it two? Yeah, it was two. <laughs> yeah. That means okay. we can only do better than Clemson. So what you're saying, Tennessee, may be better than Clemson? Could be. They could be the real orange team. People forget. People are talking. We're we're talking it, about it on this very podcast. Um, Ryan, last thoughts. Your last biggest takeaway as we wrap up our analysis of what happened in this game on Saturday. Georgia 10 Clemson three. Your parting words. Brock Bowers. Mm. Tied in number one. Mm. He's breaking whatever the record is for a tight end this year. I heard that about Darnell Washington before. Like that was all they were talking about was Washington and what he was going to do this season. Talking about the over unders. Would he get the yards? So we just uh, is Washington just out? No. We could run two tight end sets. Mm. Gilbert's coming back. Maybe Noted two tight end set runner, Todd Monken. He's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> he has no choice. I mean, who, what else are we going to do? We get Darnell Washington back, and we're going to have true freshman wide receiver out there instead of Darnell Washington? Absolutely not. I mean, this would be really weird for a Todd Monken offense, but I guess, yeah, change everything. Okay, you saw this offense on, on on Saturday, and that looked like a Todd Monken offense to you. No, it, it didn't look like an offense to me at all. It looked like an offense that has yeah. no idea what their identity is at this point. Like, the Zamir White runs down the stretch, and, like, doing James Cook up the middle a lot was kind of weird. Um, 
No, they have. No, it just needs to be. Kendall Milton wasn't used a lot. I don't know. That's all they need to do. They need to do what? They need to run those two, Milton and McIntosh only. Well, they love James Cook, so that's not going to happen. I like James Cook too, but and Milton McIntosh. People are weird about Zamir White. People are weird about Zamir White. I did like his his Instagram post. His Instagram. Oh, where he just runs the dude over and says he doesn't like playing with boys. Like what a monster. But it's like he's not great. Like he's okay. He's fine. He's just like a. He's he another back. Like he's not. Like he's not a game. He's not a Trey Sanders back there. He's not a Bijan Robinson. He's not a. Like it's it's fine. Settle down. Like Zamir White is going to average like two point seven yards a carry this year for Georgia. Like it's calm he, down. Two point seven. Calm down. Name Maybe three. The last Georgia running back that averaged two point seven yards. What did he average last year? We can pull it up right now. Well, yeah, he's got he had two metal machine like two metal legs last year. He's good this year, bro. Calm down. Is he good this year? Are we there's sure? No way. There's there's no way he averaged two point seven yards. Let me there's pull it up. There's not a chance in this world that he averaged two point seven yards a carry. That might be the most lunacy thing I've ever heard in my life as a Georgia running back averaging two point seven yards a carry. He averaged five. Yeah, I'll just say, come on, pal. Like, you're talking about, like, Florida last year. But to be fair, two is not that far away from five. Yeah. I mean, I want you to look Here, at like, all the running two, backs. Two, three, four, five. There you go. See, not very far. Mm-hmm. Not very far. Um, yeah. There you go. Not that Ryan Adams. You're back on the pod. New season, new time. Right. George is 1-0. Tennessee's 1-0. It's all, it's all gravy at the moment down here in the SEC country. Awesome, man. I'll talk to you in like a year and a half. That's enough. That's enough. Mr. Eeyore <laughs> over here. Mr. Eeyore, <laughs> Ryan Adams. Okay. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate it, Chase. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who covers the best team in Major League Soccer this year, the New England Revolution. It's Jeff Lemieux. Jeff, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks a lot. I'm doing fantastic based on the fact that I cover the New England Revolution right now. I mean, this is just a, <laughs> a weird situation, right? Like, have you grown to accept that the Revs are just uh, a, an elite MLS team now? Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, I have been I have been ingrained with the New England Revolution since 1996. I grew up in Massachusetts as a soccer fan. I was 11 years old when the league started, so I became a Revs fan in, in 1996 when, when the club started, and then I started working for the team in 2008. So this is my 14th season with the team as an employee. And obviously there have been ups and downs, but, you know, there's been a lot of disappointment throughout the course of the club's history a lot of mls cup losses a lot of heartbreak so you kind of get used to that a little bit so this year has been a little bit of an adjustment for it to be uh a team that is running away with the eastern conference and supporter shield right now it's um it's something that i as a revolution fan and as a revolution employee employee have uh have not quite experienced before well as an atlanta united fan uh i hate it jeff right <laughs> I, I appreciate that you hate it. It actually makes me feel better that you hate it. So so thank you for that. <laughs> um, I need Miguel Almiron back in my life. Um, what? Well, I'm a, New, I'm a Newcastle fan, so I love Miguel Almiron now. Oh, I just need to hang up this podcast. What is happening wasn't, here? <laughs> wasn't as much of a fan when he was 
in Atlanta running over the Reds, but now that he's in Newcastle, we need to, needs to give Newcastle a little bit of a spark right now. They're struggling, but uh, I'm big, big Miggy fan right now. Um, what has worked for people who, for the good folks who have not been able to watch any Revs this season outside of when they're playing their team? What has worked for New England this year? Why why have they been so good? Well, you know, what I keep coming back to is the fact that this is a team that isn't necessarily defined by any one style or any one system. Like, they don't, they have an identity as a group, but they don't necessarily kind of, they're not pigeonholed into an identity in terms of the way that they play and the way that they win. You know, what's been most impressive to me about the Revs in 2021 has been their ability to win in every way imaginable. So you think back to uh, the win over the Philadelphia Union this past weekend. It's a 1-0, grind-it-out kind of game where the Revs don't generate a ton going forward, but they find the goal necessary to then get themselves over the finish line and turn it into three points. And they've done that consistently this year. That was their fifth 1-0 win of the season. Might have actually been the sixth 1-0 win of the season. But on the flip side... They've had games this year where they've gotten into shootouts with teams, and they've gone out and had to beat teams 3-2 and simply said, you know what, you're going to score some goals, we're going to score some goals, but we're going to score more goals than you are. So yeah, I feel like you, you see a lot of times teams are kind of defined by, well, we're going we're gonna to outgun you or we're going to go out and beat you 1-0 and kind of you know grind you into the ground. The Reds have done it every which way this year, and I think that's what's been most impressive to me is that they've, they've been able to beat teams in a lot of different ways. If you had to clarify what's real and what's not for this group on the pitch, what would it be? What's real and what's not? I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I understand the question. To be honest, what's real is in like the real stats and like okay, this is sustainable. This is something that is going to be here to stay with New England Revolution soccer for a while for this playoff run. And this is something where I'm like, I don't necessarily. I'm not sure if this is not just a fallacy or this is just a blip or this is just not something that's sustainable. Well, I'll say in terms of, in terms of something that I don't think can be sustainable over over a significant period of time, they've made it work for this season, but I think that's not sustainable over a significant period of time is the fact that the Reds have continued to win despite the fact that they have rotated heavily and consistently all season. I mean, every single game looking back starting in May, the Reds have pretty much made at least three changes to the lineup from game to game consistently. And you would not expect a team who is chopping and changing the lineup and the personnel so often to consistently be finding ways to pick up results. But players have stepped up in ways this year that I don't think anyone in New England could have quite imagined. And Bruce Arena was was uh, open and being asked a few weeks ago, you know, have, has this team exceeded your expectations this year? And he said, yeah, they've exceeded my expectations. He, Bruce Arena did not expect this team to be comfortably 10 points ahead in the Supporter Shield race at this point in the season, especially using as many different players as they have for as many different minutes as they have. I, don't, I, don't th- I think that's something kind of special about this year. Um, what's sustainable with this team is, I think... I don't know, this is just a team that, that plays for each other. I think Bruce Arena has kind of ingrained a winning culture within the club. You know, I mentioned it's, it's a club that has had a lot of heartbreak over the years, and you kind of come to accept that, you know, that things aren't going to go your way 
And I think Bruce Arena came in with his pedigree and kind of instilled this mindset and this mentality within the group that, no, we're, things are going to go our way. We are going to win. We are going to be winners. And I think that has transferred through not just the players, but the entire organization. And that's something that I think that will continue to, uh, to stay with this club uh, moving forward, that, that winning mentality that Bruce Arena has instilled in, and everybody talked about. What has been the most impressive part of Bruce Arena's uh, managerial chops this year? Well, so, you know, it was funny because before I worked with Bruce Arena, everyone kind of has this this vision in their head of the guy who is the most successful manager and head coach in, in U.S. soccer history. And you kind of think of, you know, all of this this genius tactical knowledge and you think of kind of this knowledge of the game so far beyond your comprehension and and what that must look like and obviously there's a level of that with any successful professional coach but what's actually surprised me and impressed me about Bruce Arena is how simple he keeps things and I think that is that is probably the genius of Bruce Arena is that he really does simplify everything I mean we talk about some of the cliches in professional sports and taking things one game at a time I mean, Bruce Arena hammers home to this team. You do not talk about trophies. You do not talk about the playoffs. You do not talk about two opponents down the line. You think about the game on Saturday. We focus on going and getting three points in that game, and then we move on to the next game. He legitimately epitomizes that every single week in terms of the roles that he gives the players, giving them clear, concise roles about what he wants from each player every weekend against every opponent and saying, here's your role, here's what I need you to do, now go out and do it. It's just, like I said, I think, I think you know, you kind of have this vision in your head of this, this absolute genius who must, you know, just be all over the place with all these different things. But Bruce is kind of the opposite of that. He actually simplifies everything, and I think that's what works for him. Hmm. The unsung hero on the field for, for the Revs this season has been who? There are quite a few, and I'll, I'll throw out a few names before I get to my actual unsung here. I think Dewan mm. Jones and Brandon By at the outside back positions, I think probably haven't gotten enough credit for being, I think, two of the better outside backs in Major League Soccer. Uh, Tommy McNamara has been a revelation. He has played all over the field for the Reds and has consistently gone out and done the job. But the guy for me at the top of the list is Matt Polster. Uh, Matt Polster has been so critical to everything that the Reds have done this season. Uh, he's, their, he's their bite in the middle of the field. He's their ball winner in the middle of the field. He's also so critical in possession, consistently leads this team in passing percentage. And when he went down a few weeks ago in Toronto, he actually went down with a non-contact injury. And he talked about the fact that he thought he'd heard a pop. He thought he felt weird movement in his knee. We kind of thought in the moment that Matt Polster was potentially lost for the season, and I thought that would have been a devastating blow to the Reds if they had lost Matt Polster at that point of the season. Uh, luckily, it wasn't nearly as serious as we thought it was, and he was back after two games. But I really do think uh, that Matt Polster is one of the most important pieces of this Revolution team, uh, and he's probably someone who should be getting a little bit more credit league-wide. Hmm. Um, what have you enjoyed most about this year's revs teams what have you enjoyed most about watching them it's like i think i think it comes back to the fact that they've been able to win every different way you don't you don't go into every game you know i feel like i think back to the the colorado rapids team a few years ago that uh that ended up winning the western conference on the back of i think something like 10 or 11 one nil wins right and it's like 
they went out every week and they did exactly what you expected them to do. They went and found a way to get one goal and they would grind it out and they turned that one goal into three points and that was their identity and that's exactly what they did. I, I've loved the fact that this revolution team, and I know I kind of harped on this earlier, I, I, I like going into every weekend not knowing exactly what this team is going to need to do. So is it going to be a grinded out battle? Is it going to be a shootout where they go out and score five, four or five goals? Like the fact that every single weekend they can, they can do whatever needs to be done to win, like that, that I think kind of keeps it exciting a little bit. And look, the bottom line is no one's going to care. If you come out of the game with three points, no one's going to care how you do it. But knowing that every game could be a little bit something different, I think that keeps things exciting. I like it. I like it. Um, in terms of what just happened on the field, um, they did something that most teams don't do, which is go into Philly and get a victory. How did they How did they win in Philly? That one was all about grit and determination because they ended up playing the final 30-plus minutes of that game with 10 men. Um, looked like they were you know, relatively comfortable. It uh, wasn't a great first half in Philadelphia, um, but – found a way to nick a goal off a set piece. Matt Polster actually popped on the end of a set piece and scored a great goal and went into halftime with a 1-0 lead in a game that was probably pretty even. And then when they went down to 10 men in the 60th minute, you thought, well, here we go. You know, they're going to be under pressure for for 30 minutes here on the road at Subaru Park against, uh, you know, this Philadelphia team that's so good at home. And it seemed like it was going to be a really, really tall task to get out of there with three points. But they dug in. Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara in the middle of the field worked their absolute tails off. Brad Knighton came up with a few big saves when he needed to. Uh, everybody just dug in. I mean, that, that one really was one of those games where it was like, all right, we got we to gotta do whatever it takes to get out of here with three points. We're going to have to scratch and claw and grind. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and they've done that quite a few times this year, but uh, Friday night in Philadelphia is probably kind of the epitome of that considering they played down a man for a significant chunk of that second half. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, is it fair to say that this is the, they, the, the New England Revolution should be the favorites to win the MLS Cup this year? That they are the overwhelming favorites, or is there someone else that you're like, I think that this would be a problem in a final matchup? Well, look, I, I think that there are, I think there are always teams that are going to be problems. Do I think that the Revolution are the favorite? Sure. I mean, I think any time, if you've got a team that at this stage of the season has a 14-point lead in the Eastern Conference and has a 10-point lead in the Supporter Shield race, how can that team not be the favorite, right? Now, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, add the caveat that it's Major League Soccer. Absolutely anything can happen. I think anyone who's been following the league for a while knows that. But are the Reds the favorites? I think, how, how could they not be the favorite, right? Um, but are there teams that would scare me a little bit? For sure. Uh, even in the Eastern Conference. Nashville SC is a team that the Reds have played twice this year. They lost in Nashville and tied at home. So they took one point off Nashville in two games. Uh, I think this New York City FC team that the Reds play this weekend, they just lost to them at Yankee Stadium a couple weeks ago. That's a team that I think could be a problem in the playoffs. That's a team that could give the Reds a heck of a run. And then it's, it's tough to say in the Western Conference because the Reds have only played one Western Conference team this year in FC Dallas. But I have been intrigued by the Colorado Rapids. I, I, I probably didn't realize until a couple weeks ago how good the Colorado Rapids were. That's actually a team that's got three games in hand on the Reds, and the Red, they actually come to Foxborough to play the Reds at Gillette, second-to-last game of the season. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, 
so yeah, there there are definitely teams that uh, could could absolutely uh, upset the Revs in the playoffs. But I do think anyone who beats the Revs in the playoffs is probably going to be an upset. Okay, there we go. What can we check out from you this week, Jeff? Sorry, I did not. I did not hear that last part. <laughs> oh no! What can I? What can, what can the good folks check out from you this week across the New England Revolution? Hey, get over get over to RevolutionSoccer.net. We got mm-hmm. plenty of preview coverage ahead of uh, a massive match this weekend against New York City FC. A rematch uh, of one of the Reds' rare losses last weekend. So, uh, talking about that match as the Reds get ready to host New York City FC on Saturday night. I like it. I like it. Uh, thank you so much for making the time, Jeff. This was a lot of fun. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to check back in again soon when the Atlanta United uh, make their MLS Cup run that they've just been hot. They've been they've, they've been waiting for Joseph Martinez ripped his jersey, a la Hulk Hogan over the weekend. Who can who can roll out <laughs> Atlanta United catching the Revs at some point later on this season? Who who's to say? Who's to say, Jeff? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.